0: Today, we're in the T of the Path Guide. We're now in Transformed by God's Word, and there's two parts to that. There's scripture and theology, and both of those are intimately linked together. And if you were here last week, you would have heard Pastor Simon give a sermon on scripture, and I'd really encourage you to check that out because really... uh, You can't talk about theology without talking about scripture, but seeing as Simon covered it last week, I don't want to repeat what he's said, but I do encourage you just to check that out. It'll make what I'm saying today make a lot more sense. So I am talking about theology this morning, and theology literally means study of God. So when we talk about theology, we're talking about, thank you, we're talking about devoting time and attention to gaining understanding, gaining knowledge about God. And at its most basic, studying God involves asking questions like, what what is God like? What is God's nature? And how does he relate to us as people? Our aim in doing this is to develop a deeper understanding of God, who he is and how he relates to us as people. And really, this should make perfect sense because as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we're claiming to be in a relationship with God. No, and when you're in a relationship with someone, you're you're constantly learning more about them. Your time with them shows you how they respond to different situations. It shows you how they face life's challenges. It'll show you the extent to which they love you. And the, I guess the, to the point where you develop this deep understanding of who they are. And that's not to say you'll know absolutely everything there is to know about them. It's not to say that you'll be able to predict everything they're going to do. But you'll understand the core of what drives them you'll be able to see things from their point of view and that understanding of what god is like and how he relates to us as people leads us to answer some of life's biggest questions the kind of questions that every person who has ever lived has had to wrestle with at some time in their life questions like why am i here what is my purpose where am i heading and the answers to those questions shape our beliefs and our values. All right? Theology, the study of God, it leads us to a deeper understanding of who God is and then it shapes our beliefs and our values. And I guess as a church, you can see an example of that. If you jump on the Horizon website, you can see how our understanding of God, our theology, has shaped our beliefs and our values as a church. If you look online, you'll see that as a church, we believe in a God who is totally loving And completely holy right we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every single one of us but that sin has separated us from that plan and that purpose however we also believe that God wasn't content to let it stay that way that God sent Jesus to reconcile us back to God to heal that rift that exists between sinful people and a holy God and We believe those things because our study of God has shown us that those things are true. It's led us to that conclusion. And our beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us, they also shape our values. As a church, we value things like community, belonging, opportunity, hope, generosity, growth. If you were here in January, you would have heard people from this church get up the front and talk about each one of those areas in particular. And they're essentially explaining them to you from a theological point of view. They're explaining their understanding of who God is and why we value those things as a church. More broadly, as Christians, we value love, justice, mercy, compassion, forgiveness. And we value those things because our study of God, our understanding of who he is, has led us to see that those things are valuable. That in fact, those are the things that God values. So theology, it informs our beliefs and our values, and that's why it's so transformative. Right? Because what you believe and what you value, it shapes how you view yourself, how you view other people, the world around you. It shapes your commitments, your affections, your actions, everything. How you live your life is essentially dictated by your values and your beliefs, which is why, for us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, it's so important you know, to study God because it has such a huge impact on how we live our lives. And I have no doubt it's what inspired Jesus' words in Matthew 22:37. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replies with two things. This is the first part. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's essentially saying, love God with every part of your being, with everything you have, love God, and that includes with your mind. You can show your love to God, for example, by dedicating your your mind to learning more about who he is. And again, it comes back to this idea that we are in a relationship with God, and part of being in that relationship is this desire to learn more about and then draw closer to the other person. And to me, that's, that's part of what it means to love someone with your mind. And For that reason, I believe that we're all called to be theologians. And I don't mean that in the sense that we're all called to be scholars or professors, but I do mean it in the sense that as disciples, we are called to love God with our minds. There's that desire to draw closer to and learn more about him. That's what theology is to me, that desire to draw closer to and learn more about God. To the extent, though, where you develop that deeper understanding of who he is. And I have no doubt Jesus said these words in, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, 37, because he knew that studying God and developing this deeper understanding of who God is, it would profoundly change people's lives for the better, and not just for themselves, but for the world around them as well. So if we're all called to be theologians, it begs the question, are we living this out? You know, are we dedicating this time and attention to learning more about who God is? You know, have we developed that deeper understanding of who God is and does that deeper understanding then shape our beliefs and our values? In essence, does it influence how we live? Or do we have this shallow understanding where our beliefs and our values are instead shaped by the world we're in, the culture that we're living in at the time? Is our understanding of God just head knowledge with no action attached to it? That's the question that we kind of have to wrestle with as Christians, as disciples. And today I just wanna really spend some time showing you why theology is so important and just how transformational it can be. And I'm going to draw on an example which I think shows both the danger of a lack of theology and also the transformation that can occur when it shapes our values and our beliefs. And this example, it it simultaneously highlights one of the the best and one of the worst chapters of Christian history. I'm going to look at the story of the abolition of slavery, where on one hand we actually see Christians support it and on the other we see Christians galvanised to fight for its abolishment. And it's an example which shows us both the devastating effect of having a shallow understanding of God and also that powerful transformative effect of having that deeper understanding of who God is. And so to understand this example, we need to look at a bit of history. All right? And history tells us that from the 15th century onwards, Europeans explored and then colonised what they called the New World, which was namely North and South America. And as part of this, sugar and tobacco plantations in the Caribbean and in America, they were established and in turn fed this demand for slave labour. There's essentially two competing forces here They had these plantations that needed lots of people to do hard manual labour and a competing desire to turn bigger profits. And so what they decided was to establish what they called the transatlantic slave trade. And this was where somewhere between 10 and 12 million Africans were enslaved, taken across the Atlantic Ocean to work on plantations like this to do hard manual labour. And this is history's largest forced migration and one of the greatest crimes ever committed against humanity. And so this painting here shows you an image of what that might have looked like. Lots of people doing hard manual labour on these plantations. And so much has been written about the horrors of American slavery, but for me the most shocking thing about the story is that for the most part churches offered a religious backing for it. Many Christian leaders, they're known to have played a role in maintaining it, and they use their Christian faith essentially to uh, to back it and say that this was what God wanted for people to do. So for example, verses like those found in Colossians three twenty-two and one Peter two eighteen, they were used to suggest that the Bible endorsed slavery. So Colossians 3.22 says this it says slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the lord so in this verse this is the apostle Paul he's telling Christian slaves to obey their masters and on its own taken out of context this is a confronting verse Right? Why is Paul saying this? Is he endorsing slavery? It's, it's a question that has been hotly debated over the centuries, and as always, some context is required here. So the first thing to realise is that this was written in the first century, long before anything happened here in, in the New World, as they called it. And it's at a time when historians estimated that perhaps one in five people across the Roman Empire were actually slaves. So a world without slavery would have been unthinkable at this time, especially when the Christians were a small minority that didn't wield any direct social influence or power. And so it's in this context that we see the apostles Paul and Peter, they give commands to both slaves and masters on how to relate to one another. All right, we see them argue essentially for slaves and masters to treat each other with respect, which on its own is quite a radical idea. Essentially, they wanted people to view each other as being human And equal. The thinking was, I believe, that the abolishment of slavery was outside of their control. Christians weren't the ones with power in society, not in the first century, but it was within their power to undermine it. And these verses that we read regarding slaves and masters seek to modify the institution of slavery from within. But this only really becomes apparent when you view Paul's and Peter's letters as a whole, of course as they were intended to be read as opposed to taking individual verses out of context what you'll find if you read Paul's letters to the Galatians and the Colossians for example is that he preached a vision of human equality that was so radical that social divisions along ethnic gender class they just dissolved for example he says this in Galatians 3:28 there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male or female for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's very clear that his point here is to say that in God's eyes, from Jesus' point of view, each and every person has inherent value. Each and every person is considered equal regardless of their class, their gender, ethnicity, they are all equal. Interesting, interestingly, Paul also writes a letter to a person called Philemon, which became the book of Philemon in our Bibles. You can read this for yourself. In this letter, The Apostle Paul appeals to Philemon, who is actually a slave owner, and he appeals to Philemon because he wants him to welcome back this slave, but not to establish that same slave-master relationship that existed before. He invites Philemon to invite this person back as a brother, essentially saying, invite this person back as a member of your family and treat them in the same way that he'd treat Paul himself. You know, it's an absolutely radical idea for the time. And so, yes, Paul's and Peter's letters, they don't outright call for the abolishment of slavery. That's true. But to say that they endorse slavery, that's something else altogether. Because when we read those letters as a whole, it becomes very clear that their aim is to undermine it. Hmm. So a contradiction became apparent here for many people in the church. It was hard to reconcile. For those people that took the time to study God, to develop that deeper understanding of who he is, slavery didn't make sense. And there's a great quote here from a guy called Frederick Douglass. He was an escaped slave and one of the leading advocates in the end for the abolishment of slavery. And he saw this contradiction so clearly. He says this. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of the land. Indeed, I I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. He saw a clear difference between what Jesus taught, which he calls the Christianity of Christ, And what the Christians at the time were living out, you know, what they were supporting, and he calls that the Christianity of the land. The two were very different. You know, the Christianity that Jesus taught was all about loving your neighbor. It was all about serving other people, setting slaves free. But the culture at the time it was all about exploiting your neighbor. It was about being served and enslaving other people. And the reasons for why slavery existed in what were supposed to be Christian nations, it's many and varied. I can't go into all of them. But to me, it comes down to one really important point, a lack of theology. They had this shallow understanding of who God is. Verses were taken out of context. The biblical story was not looked at as a whole. And most importantly, they didn't look at what Jesus taught. Red flags should have gone up everywhere, and so it was easily corrupted. People twisted their faith to conform to the culture at the time. There was no deeper understanding of who God is and how he relates to us as people, and therefore it didn't influence their beliefs or their values. They simply went along with the culture at the time. Thankfully, though, there were Christians who had this deeper understanding of God, and they used theology to shift public opinion on slavery. So to abolitionists, this church backing for slavery, it was an absolute disgrace, and it was a betrayal of Jesus himself. And one of the most famous abolitionists was William Wilberforce, whose monumental struggle against the transatlantic slave trade is, is one that's gone down in history. Wilberforce, he was a British politician, and he would have stood in a place like this in the House of Commons and argued his point in front of the the British Parliament at the time. And from 1787, that's exactly what he did. And the the arguments that he brought before the Parliament, they were many and varied. He argued that there were horrific conditions that people were facing being transported across the Atlantic Ocean. He rebuked his opponents who said that there would be economic disaster if they stopped having slaves. But ultimately, what he insisted on is that the argument was a moral one. Essentially, he argued, from a theological point of view, that it was wrong. He argued, if God had made humans in his own image, how could these infinitely precious likenesses of God be sold for mere money? He argued, if Jesus had paid such a great price on the cross to set all people free from sin... Who would dare physically enslave those that God himself had set free? His belief was that the world was governed by the laws of a good God. And that gave him this unshakable conviction that the abolishment of slavery was in the best interests of everyone. But the opposition that Wilberforce faced, it was overwhelming. And almost all of the most influential people in British politics at the time, the Lord Chancellor, the Secretary of State, most of the cabinet, even the royal family, they were all against him. And that's not to mention the the powerful commercial interests that had a vested interest in profiting from it. And what what we see in history is that over the course of 20 years, a total of 11 bills were brought before parliament and they were all voted down. The opposition to this idea was overwhelming. And it wasn't until the 23rd of February 1807 that breakthrough finally came. There's a historian called William Hague and he writes this about that day where Wilberforce brought his bill before the parliament. He says, still in session at 4am, the votes in favour of the proposed bill came to 283 with only 16 against. Wilberforce, who had battled severe illness, threats and relentless opposition, sat with tears streaming down his cheeks as the entire house rose to cheer him. Twenty years later, a bill went through that saw the end of the transatlantic slave trade. And it may have taken 20 years, but what Wilberforce witnessed was a radical transformation in people's beliefs based on a deep understanding of God. And because of what happened back in 1807, Slavery is now illegal everywhere in the world. How amazing is that? And the point to make here is that theology leads to transformation. This deep understanding of who God is and what he's about, it transformed Wilberforce personally. It impacted his beliefs and his values. His deep understanding showed him, ultimately, that all people have inherent value, have inherent worth because God says they do. And that understanding transformed the world around him and the momentum and the effort behind that original anti-slavery movement, it was overwhelmingly Christian, right? These ideas about people having inherent value, being worthy of love and respect, they ultimately come from God. it's what Jesus taught us. And there's a, a theologian by the name of Rowan Williams, he puts it like this. He says, abolition was almost entirely the church's business. If the abolition of slavery had been left to enlightened secularists in the 18th century, we'd still be waiting. All right. To this day, Christians are the ones who are still on the forefront of the battle against modern slavery through organizations such as International Justice Mission, A twenty-one, and their determination to see slavery erased. It comes from their understanding of who God is and what he's about. So if there's one message you take from this today, it's that theology leads to transformation. Theology, the study of God, answers some of life's biggest questions. Questions like, what is God like? How does he relate to us as people? What is God's purpose for me? And our understanding of God then informs our beliefs and our values. And that's why theology is so transformative, because what you believe and you value, it shapes your commitments, your affections, your actions, everything. How you live your life is dictated by your values and your beliefs. And we saw an example of how this lack of theology leads to a shallow understanding of God, and it can be easily misused. You saw an example of how verses can be taken out of context, essentially to endorse anything, really. Taken out of context, they were used to endorse slavery, where people essentially conformed to the culture of their time. But we also saw an example of how being committed to theology developing that deep understanding of who God is it was used to bring about transformation and in this case it brought about the abolishment of the transatlantic slave trade and is the reason that slavery is illegal everywhere in the world today and actually there are lots of examples I could have used about the power of theology it is the reason that we value humility in our culture today it's the reason human rights exist it's the reason that most charities exist. It led to the rise of universities, hospitals, public health care. Lots of powerful transformational things from a deeper understanding of who God is. So what does this mean for you? I think it means be a theologian. Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God with every part of you. And that includes with your mind. Dedicate time. To learning more about God and who he is and as disciples as followers of Jesus that's what we're called to do learn more about God and the primary way we do this is through his word the Bible and Simon presented this verse to you last week It's 1 Timothy 3 16 to 17 he says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we want this deeper understanding of God, we need to know what's written in our Bibles. But also acknowledge that's not always an easy thing to do on your own. So I'd invite you into this process that we've been doing over the last few weeks. Discern, learn, practice, reflect, and then celebrate. So I'd invite you to take some time discerning, essentially take some time to pray to God And ask is this an area i need to work on do i need to develop a deeper understanding of who you are do i need to spend some time studying god if this is something that you need to learn more about i'd invite you to check out these two resources i had a very very long list it was hard for me to just whittle it down to two i would encourage you to check out the bible project i i love what they have on their website there. They have fantastic overviews of individual books of the Bible. They do word studies, they cover themes of the Bible that will show you how it all leads to Jesus. of you probably have already seen the material, maybe you want something that's a bit more in depth, I would highly recommend reading this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. A fantastic resource, it'll show you how to read Hebrew poetry. It'll tell you about biblical narrative, It'll explain the historical and cultural context of the letters in the New Testament. I'd encourage you to check those out. And of course, we have a, a wealth of resources within this church as well. If you have a theological question, why don't you go talk to our pastors? Talk to Pastors Greg and Margot. Talk to Pastor Simon. I'm sure they'd love to hear your questions. And of course, join a Connect group. It's essentially our, our Bible study groups. What, what better way is there? to develop that deeper understanding of who God is than to do it with other people. I think those are all fantastic resources. And of course, if there's anything in this message you want to uh, chat about, you're always free to come talk to me. And so the third thing on that list is then practice. What does it actually mean to practice theology? It means letting your understanding of who God is shape your beliefs and your values. That's what it means to live it out. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God of love, that you love each and every one of us, that we each have inherent value. I thank you, Lord, for this time that we have this morning to learn more about who you are and develop that deeper understanding. I pray, Lord, that as we spend time praying to you and discerning that you would speak to us clearly, Lord, show us the areas that you want us to improve in. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to develop that deeper understanding of who you are. And ultimately, Lord, I pray for each and every person here, each and every person listening, that that deeper understanding of you would powerfully and radically transform us, that it would shape our beliefs and our values, and ultimately, Lord, that it would change how we live, that it would influence our lives in every single way. We thank you, Lord. Amen.